You're listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached during the online worship service of Central United Methodist Church. We are located in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to join us for our live worship experience through Facebook or Zoom every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Visit www.cumcballston.org for details. There you can also learn more about our congregation where we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. A reading from Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 14 and 18 through 20. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of the land is good. Bedalium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second ribbon is Gihon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper of his partner. So out of the ground of the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whenever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Central United Methodist Church. It is a joy to be joining you in worship today. I am thankful to my friend and colleague in ministry, Pastor Sarah, for the invitation to be a part of your worship today. I want to invite you to the reading from the book of Philippians, the second chapter, verses 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave. Being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of this day. I pray, O Lord, that you will speak this day 
and as always speak in spite of me, a sinner saved by your grace, so that your people will hear your word proclaimed, so that your people will hear your love for them. I pray this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Last year, 11 colleagues and I went on pilgrimage to Denali and Kenaya Fjords National Parks of Alaska. We were deacons, local pastors, and elders on a week-long journey of observing and engaging in theological discussions around the changing climate of creation and its parallels to the changing climate of the United Methodist Church. Many of us still rattle from our denomination's showdown a few months before, saw this a fitting opportunity to find rest for our weary souls and to dream of the future of God's church with the people called Methodists. Now, one of the books we used for our devotional time was America's Holy Ground, the book from which today's meditation came. Denali, like most of America's national parks, at least the ones I visited, are magnificent, majestic, and awe-inspiring. One cannot help but be awestruck by God's creative handiwork when visiting these sacred sites. Denali is 92 miles long, and Denali Park Road is the only road in the park. It parallels the Alaska Range and travels through low valleys and high mountains. And along its route are beautiful landscapes that are seen at every turn and with the periodic sighting of wildlife, wildlife. Now, private vehicles are restricted to the first 15 miles of the park as a way of preserving the natural habitat of the park's inhabitants. And the rest of the park can be seen via tour or transit buses. And our group did the tour bus for the Eliazon Visitor Center, which covers about 66 of the 92 miles of the park. We also chose this visitor center tour because it is one of the best places to get a good view of the Denali Mountain. However, our group became part of the 70% of people who never see the mountain because of the misty and overcast day. Now, even though we did not get to see Denali in all its majestic beauty, the power of its name was still felt all around us. The name Denali, as stated in the devotional, means tall one, big one, high one, or great one. Now for our group of 12 clergy, the significance of the name for us was not necessarily in the mountain itself, but the one who brought the mountain in existence as attested in the text from Genesis. Now the name of the mountain connected and reminded us of the creative force of the great one in whose image and likeness we are made. The great one who has given all of creation to us as a gift and the great one who has shown us love by coming into this world in human flesh to restore all of creation to God's self. 
The message of God's liberating love is the thread woven through all of scripture, beginning with the narrative of creation. The two accounts of creation, the one with which we are most familiar, that is found in every children's Bible, and the one read in your hearing today, were not written to necessarily tell us how the world came into existence. No, they were written to give God's people hope in the face of adversity. They were written to be proclaimed as good news to those who were carried into Babylonian captivity in the year 587, after the invasion of Israel that destroyed the temple and left the promised land in smoldering ruins. They were written to elevate the name of their God, Yahweh, above the names of the Babylonian gods they were forced to serve while in captivity. Now, in the first year of their captivity, the Babylonians tried to convince the Israelites that their God no longer existed. They presented them with alternative facts found in the Babylonian creation narrative and tried to convince them that their God had abandoned them. They tried to convince them that there was no plan or purpose or point or hope to their lives. They tried to convince them that this world is dark, violent, eye for a eye place. And though it is naive, and it was naive of them to expect anything but suffering to come their way. They try to convince them that it's written into the fabric of creation that we are made from the blood of victims, so they shouldn't be surprised that they, they have been made Babylon's victim. They try to convince the Israelites that the world is the way it is, because the gods of Babylon are the way they are. But instead of accepting Babylonian alternative facts as true, Israel co-opted the Babylonian creation stories. They took it and they changed it and made it their own to profess the words of Torah, the Shema, that they already knew to be true. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. There's only one God. There was nothing before creation but God. God created from nothing, and because God created out of nothing, this world and everything in it, in it is a gift. You and I are gifts. Everything around us, every living thing, your neighbor, or maybe even your enemy, all of it is gift. It is all given just so God can share God's life with us. Israel took the Babylonian creation story and made it their own because they already knew who God was, that God had heard their cries when they were in captivity in Egypt. In other words, Israel's faith in God the Deliverer preceded their faith in God the Creator. Just because it's first in our Bibles doesn't mean that it's first in Israel's life with God. Their Exodus experience is older than the Genesis creation stories. Their Exodus was their Genesis. 
Israel didn't need a literal creation story to prove that God existed. They already knew God existed because God had delivered them. Beloved, the stories of creation in the Bible are not there to tell us about the origin of the world, although that could be deduced from it. The stories of creation are not in the Bible for us to admire just the work of the Creator, although we can acknowledge that. The stories of creation are in the Bible as a defiant witness to the God in whose image we are made, who came down to our world in human flesh to share life with us, and who gave us the ultimate gift of liberation. The stories of creation is the good news of our deliverance from the one man, as Paul says to the Philippians, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. The one man who emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. The one man who, being found in human form, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The one man who God has highly exalted and given the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The name of Jesus does not point to just the created world. The name of Jesus points to the one who has created the world. The name of Jesus points to Yahweh who was revealed in a burning bush to Moses. The name of Jesus points to the God who has loved us unconditionally in the human flesh of Jesus Christ. Yes, even though we did not get to see Denali in all its majestic beauty, the power of its name was still felt around us. Even though we have not seen Jesus, the power of his name is felt in our lives and in all of creation. For it is his name that brings good news to the poor. It is his name that proclaims release to the captives. It is his name that gives the blind their sight. It is his name that sets the oppressed free. It is his name that dismantles systems of injustices and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves in our world. It is his name that points to the goodness of God who desires all creation to live in the abundance of God's grace and God's redeeming love. His name is above all names. His name is the name that gives us peace, is the name that gives us hope, is the name that helps us to make it through the worst times in our lives. 
It is his name that heals us. It is his name that comforts us. It is his name that reminds us that even though the world may be in chaos, it is the name of Jesus that brings order to chaos. And no matter how things seem, that our God is good and what God has made is all a gift. And that means that each and every one of us are given to this world as a gift. And the way things are isn't the way that they are going to be, isn't the way that they will always be. Because from the very beginning of our faith, our God is in the habit of rescuing our present and redeeming our past and delivering us into a new future because our God is good. Our God is gracious. Our God is merciful. And our God will not rest until all things are made new, until all things are very good again. All of this offered to you in the name of God, who is majesty, mystery, and mercy. Amen. <laughs>